0: Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. As, uh, as Tony said, I'm Matt. I'm one of the other pastors here at Imago Dei. Uh, he also affectionately refers to me as his body double. Um, I think we all know that's not true. I'm the younger, more distinguished. I mean, the older, more distinguished, better looking. Uh, he's younger and in better shape. So he's my body double. Today, if, uh, if you're not aware, you're probably aware, it's been in the news much this week, today is an anniversary, though not one I think we really want to celebrate. One year ago today, this week, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. One year ago today, on Sunday, we had to cancel our regular services and plan a COVID virtual service. You may remember, Tony was in his living room Uh, Kimberly was on the camera, and Pastor Donnie was uh, on the front porch with his laptop directing. It was uh, hastily put together, but thankfully we were able to pull it off. That was one year ago today. It's been a year of this. It's been a confusing and challenging and frustrating year. Every year has its share of sadness and suffering, but I think we'd all agree that this past year has been worse for some more than others. And it's been very hard to be together, to be unified. Hard for businesses, hard for students and teachers, hard for medical workers, public servants, hard for families. To be together, to celebrate, to have meals, even to comfort and grieve one another has been hard to do. It's been hard to have classes and meetings and worship services and weddings and funerals and dinners and parties. It's been hard to go to the store or school or out to eat or even to travel. And hard for churches, I must tell you, hard for churches to worship together, to share community together, and to, to love one another and bear one another's burdens. It's been hard to be together the past year. I think we'd all agree. But I'm thankful for how we've sacrificed together and figured out a way to be together Anyway. We've been reminded, I think, pretty much on a daily basis, that we're finite creatures, and that we live in a broken world, and, and that our power is very limited. Our power is very limited. Consider that over two and a half million people across the world have, divi- have died from the coronavirus alone. But I think we all know it's not just the coronavirus and COVID that's plagued us. There's been cancer, heart disease, dementia, abuse, depression, loneliness, miscarriages, infertility, and so much more that we've suffered from even in this body this past year. We've grieved the loss of so much, and we've become more aware of our weaknesses and the effects of the fall. We are a delicate and dependent people. Yes, even you, young man, you are delicate. And we don't really know what tomorrow will bring. But folks, none of this, none of this has surprised God. And He not only knows what tomorrow will bring, He's sovereign over it. Our sin and suffering does not surpass His power. His power to save, His power to sustain, and His power to secure for us a glorious future with Him in heaven. The end of the story is this, God wins. And we will be with Jesus. Nothing this world, nothing the devil can throw at us, not our sin, not COVID, or anything else will overcome the power of the Lord Jesus and the overwhelming hope of the gospel. Today and next week too, as you'll hear from Tony, we have a text that will help us during these times. We who are fragile, we who are frustrated, and we feel forlorn. This passage teaches us that as God's children in our time, in this world, we will experience suffering and hardship and persecution and even death, especially when we proclaim the life-giving gospel of Jesus. It doesn't gloss over or ignore those truths, those hard things we experience, all the suffering we endure, and all the afflictions and fear, but it doesn't stop there. God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in bondage to sin. He doesn't leave us in our suffering. He frees us. He is with us in our suffering. And He won't forget us in death. He will raise us. The main point of our our text, our sermon this morning is this the power of God is the source and surety of our salvation, it empowers us for faithful ministry. And it secures for us a glorious future with Jesus. So I've got three points for y'all to consider today. The first one's a bit longer than the others. Don't get too concerned. The first one is this, verses 7 through 12. The surpassing power of God saves and sustains us. The surpassing power of God saves and sustains us. Verse 7, which is a, a summary statement. Paul basically says this, we are weak but he is strong. Verse 7 reads, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What's this treasure? Well, generally speaking, it's the gospel. But more specifically, as we refer back to verse 6, we know that it's the light of the gospel, specifically the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the greatest of all treasures, the light and life of the gospel. It is the greatest of treasure, the pearl of great price. Nothing else, my friends, nothing else is as valuable than the gospel. Nothing we discover or create or accomplish can match it. Not Michelangelo's David or the Hope Diamond or Jeff Bezos' net worth, which as of today is $183 billion dollars. Not that either. Not a vaccine, or that degree, or that job, or that car, or that house. No earthly treasure compares to this. This treasure is in a different category. If you are in Christ, my friend, God has given you a treasure beyond measure. And so what does that mean that we have this treasure in jars of clay? Earthen vessels. What does that mean? Well, two things, I think. One, we need to remember that we're fragile. We're fragile. All of us are fragile fragile and breakable containers carrying an invaluable treasure. We are born sinners and we suffer physical and mental ailments in this life that impair our lives. We get hurt by accident and sometimes at the hands of others. We contract diseases We can be abused, neglected, and abandoned. We're fragile clay pots that can't provide impenetrable protection for the treasure. But this treasure, my friends, doesn't need protecting. It needs promoting. The treasure of the gospel needs to be poured out. It's not about our power. It's about His. We are cracked pots, not crack pots, that will crumble with time, but we carry around the most valuable treasure in the world. We are weak, but he is strong. The second thing it tells us is that, that we're clay pots is that we're familiar, meaning we're, we're ordinary. We're not that special. We're not ornate, even though we try to make ourselves look ornate. As clay pots, we are commonplace, everyday utensils. Paul doesn't say some are clay pots and And some are crystal vases, or vases, if you prefer. And some are golden goblets. No, he says, we're all clay pots. Paul is a clay pot. I'm a clay pot. You're a clay pot. Sing with me. (laughs) This church is just a bunch of clay pots. And that isn't an insult, my friends. It's an encouragement. We don't need to be outwardly impressive. It's okay that we're finite and fragile and familiar. Because in the eyes and hands of God, we are beautiful, and valuable, and useful. We may be plain clay pots, but we carry around something pretty special. Something of immeasurable, eternal value. A treasure we can't earn, don't deserve, and is better than anything this world has to offer. So why us? Why us clay pots? Well, the text tells us. So people will know that the surpassing power is from God, not us. We can't completely stop suffering or overcome death, and we cannot reconcile ourselves to a holy God. But He can, and He has. I don't have that power. Snap was wrong. If you get that reference, you're from the 80s a treasure we can't earn and don't deserve and is better than anything the world has to offer. Believer, you have this treasure. By the power of God, you have been saved and sustained. So pour out this valuable treasure for the good of others. You won't lose it by sharing it. And don't worry that you're weak or unimpressive by the world's standards. You don't have to be strong or impressive or powerful. God is plenty powerful. And he works in and through wheat clay pots like you and me. And if you're not a Christian, I want to beg you and remind you that you don't have the power to save yourself or give yourself new life, eternal life. You can't beat death. But God has that power. And he showed it through the work of Jesus, especially his resurrection. Please trust in his saving power, not yours. He will forgive you. And he will give you eternal life. So how exactly are we clay pots? Well, Paul tells us in verses 8 and 9. He has these four, I call, four paired paradoxes. Try to say that three times. Four paired paradoxes. I'm not going to do it. As clay pots, he says, in our weakness, verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. We are hard pressed. The world squeezes us. It presses in on us. And we suffer from the many effects of the fall. And sometimes... We feel like we can't take it anymore. And we fear it will crush us. But Paul says, because of God's surpassing power, we're not crushed. This world can't crush us. Yes, we will be hard pressed. Yes, we will suffer the consequences of our sin. And yes, we will suffer physically and we all face death. But those things don't have the power to crush us. Because of His power, we can't be crushed. Paul also says we're perplexed. We're confused by what happens in this world, especially when people suffer unexpectedly, when we're shocked with bad news, when bad things happen to good people, and when disease and disaster befalls our lives. There's no better recent illustration of that than COVID, right? But Paul says we're not driven to despair because God is strong. We won't get all our questions answered in this life, but we did get the big one answered, It's okay not to have all the answers and it's okay to have questions and it's definitely okay to cry out to God in lament. And it's okay not to know when it all will end and when things will get back to normal. We're confused. We grieve. But friends, we grieve with hope. We don't despair because we have Jesus and he is enough. We're also persecuted. The devil is at work in this world and he oppresses people, and he opposes the mission of God. Gospel courage and gospel proclamation often results in intense persecution for God's people. But we are not forsaken. We are not forsaken. God does not abandon his children. Our God never leaves us, never forsakes us, never, ever abandons us. He is with us always, to the end of the age, Jesus says, and he is with us, really with us, in our suffering. And finally, we are struck down. The word there literally means we are laid low, like a, like a blow from a weapon. We are abused, we're bullied, we're cast off, we're rejected. We're even stricken with illness and slain. In this fallen world, we can be struck down, literally and figuratively, But my friends, we are not destroyed. We are sometimes down, but we are never out. We're not immune from illness or affliction, but we are immune from the power of sin and death. We're not exempt, but by the power of God, we will be delivered. And so a summary of all this, Paul is saying without God's power, we would be crushed. We would be driven to despair. We would be forsaken, we would be left and abandoned, and we would be destroyed. But through his power, we are sustained and secured. Isaiah said it this way in chapter 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not consume you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. Sisters and brothers, and especially those that have or are going through great suffering, God has not left you. He won't allow your suffering to destroy you. Your trials and your sufferings won't be victorious. He won't let that happen. Even death will not destroy you. And then Paul gets even more specific about the death of Jesus and how that gives us life in verses 10 through 12, where we have these three synonymous statements Notice the repetition and how it kind of builds up, and how Paul is saying, This is happening to us so that the life of Christ is given to you. He says in verse 10, We are always, that is, unceasingly, constantly carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And then he says something very similar in verse 11. We who live, that's us, are always unceasingly, constantly being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he summarizes what he's just said in those those two verses, saying this in verse 12. So death is at work in us, death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is always carrying the death of Jesus. He's always being literally given over to death. He's always in the process of dying while continuing to proclaim the gospel. And it's the same for us. Maybe you don't want to be reminded of that this morning. We are all always in the process of dying. The older folks know what I'm talking about. Why? Why? Uh, So that they, so that we would have eternal life. Paul's suffering had an eternal, significant uh, purpose. It had an eternally significant purpose. New, eternal life provided in and through faith in Jesus. He isn't telling them, just to be clear, he's not telling them or us, try to suffer more or pursue suffering in order to please God. He's not promoting intentional martyrdom. But he is saying this, Death is always at work in you. But so is the life of Jesus if you are in Christ. Scott Hafferman put it this way, a commentator, the righteous do suffer. It is Paul's ability to endure and rejoice in the midst of adversity that reveals the life of Jesus to others. Anyone can worship Santa Claus. In stark contrast, the ultimate testimony to God's power is the praise that arises in the midst of affliction Because of our conviction that God is always at work in and through our suffering. Why? For a future good so great that all present suffering seems light, momentary. Our proclamation of the hope of the gospel and our reliance on the power of God, even in our suffering, encourages people. It shows them hope. And it points them to Jesus who suffered and died to give them life. Now, the truth is, we probably won't suffer, most of us, like Paul did, or as some Christians have in the past, or are today. But death is not work in all of us. And while that's sobering, and maybe it sounds a little morbid, it should also remind us that this life is a limited opportunity engagement. We have a limited opportunity to share the life-giving gospel of Jesus. Jesus reminded us of what's to come after our suffering. Revelation 2.10, he says to the church at Smyrna, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That brings me to point number two. Again, these will go a little faster. Verses 13 through 15. The saving power of God compels us. The saving power of God compels us to proclaim the gospel to others. Verse 13 says, we believe, so we speak. He says, since we, that is all believers, have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. He's quoting Psalm 116 verse 10. We also believe and we also speak. Like I said, this is a reference to Psalm 116, which begs the question, why why does Paul reference it? What is he getting at? What's the point he's trying to make by pulling that psalm in? Two things, I think. One, because he knows that the psalmist had proclaimed the Lord's death, the Lord's delivery of him from death. The psalmist, maybe David, proclaimed that the Lord had delivered him from death. Listen to this beginning in verse 8 of Psalm 116. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. Even when he was afflicted, he believed. Even at his lowest point, he believed in the power of God to rescue him. Even when he was at his weakest, his lowest, especially then, He believed in the power of the Lord to save him. The second reason Paul references, I think, is is because of the psalmist's response to that deliverance. What does he say? Well, I'll read a portion beginning in verse 12. The psalmist writes, "'What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me?' "'I will lift up the cup of salvation "'and call on the name of the Lord. "'I will pay my vows to the Lord "'in the presence of all his people.'" Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservants. You have loosed my bonds, so I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. He is praising God for rescuing him from death, and he is committing himself to serving the Lord. Paul is saying the same thing here in this passage, but more specifically because of the saving work of Jesus. Like the psalmist, divine rescue compelled Paul to publicly proclaim his own salvation and commit himself to serving God. And it should be the same for us. We have been saved from death and sin by Jesus, that salvation should motivate our proclamation. And what is it we're celebrating? Well, here it is in verse 14. I think one of the most beautiful, powerful, and glorious verses in the whole Bible. Smack in the dab, to quote Pastor Shane, smack in the dab of this wonderful passage is this great truth. We know, you know, it's getting windy up here, you know, that he who raised the Lord Jesus, you know this, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There is nothing more important to know than this. No fact, no stat, no truth, nothing. Brother and sister, you know this. You know that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord you know that he was raised from the dead and that he will raise you to be with him in heaven forever in glory. And guess what? We're going to be there with you. I don't know if that excites you, but we're going to be there with you. All believers from all time across the world, we're all going to be there in the presence of Jesus. Everyone that by faith believes in Jesus will for certain be resurrected, and live in the presence of the resurrected Jesus forever. We will be together with Jesus forever. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, The very flesh and blood that suffered upon Calvary is in heaven. The hand that was pierced with the nail now at this moment grasps the scepter of all worlds. That very head which was bowed down with anguish is now crowned with royal diadem. And the face that was no marvel is the very face which beams resplendent amidst the thrones of heaven. And listen to this, folks. Into that same countenance we shall permitted, be permitted to gaze. Oh, what a sight. Roll back ears. Hasten on, you laggard months and days, to let us but for once behold him, our beloved, our heart's care, who redeemed us unto God by his blood. Paul's suffering was taking its toll and death was approaching. But he knew, he knew that it had no final power over him. He knew that God had the surpassing power. Paul knew all of this, so he put himself in danger and he suffered and he also spoke boldly. And, sisters and brothers, we know what Paul knows. And Paul also knows that his work is extending the grace of God which increases thanksgiving to God and ultimately glorifies God. He is motivated by the knowledge that heaven will be a community of believers and he wants it to be crowded for the glory of God. Verse 15 says this, for it is all for your sake. It's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul keeps on keeping on. Preaching, teaching, shepherding, writing, while enduring criticism and subversion and persecution and beatings and being shipwrecked and imprisonment and being stoned and left for dead. Why? Because he knows that his work and his words have gospel purpose. It extends the grace of God. It, it leads to the salvation of others. He offers himself up for the good of others and the glory of God. He is pouring out this treasure in abundance, generously. He knows he doesn't lose it by sharing it. And that by sharing it, many others will receive the grace of God. His goal was to help lead as many people as possible to faith in Jesus. So that, so that those who receive this grace will thank and serve God too. Friends, God's grace should always lead us to gratitude. We have been saved from sin and death. We know the gospel of Jesus. So we thank God for this treasure and we we speak the gospel to others so that they would be saved and give thanksgiving all to the glory of God. And speaking of glory, final point and conclusion for today. Number three, our future with God, our future with God emboldens us. It encourages us. Verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, so we don't lose heart. Remember that from back in in, in verse 1. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't despair. Even though we experience suffering and hardship and persecution and loneliness, and even though death is at work in, in us, Paul doesn't tell them or us that it will be all better in this life. He doesn't give them false or fleeting promises that they'll have their best life in this life. But he does tell them that they're being renewed. They're being renewed and that preparations are in progress. So why don't we lose heart even though our outer self is wasting away, even though our physical bodies and our old spiritual cells are degenerating? We get sick. We're stricken with diseases like COVID. We have heart attacks and strokes we suffer with MS and ALS. We, we age. We forget. Our bodies are always breaking down. It's inevitable in this fallen world. Our outer, older cells, physically and spiritually, are wasting away. We're dying. So why don't we lose heart? Why don't we lose hope? First reason Paul tells us, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Literally, the new person in Christ, the eternal self that is, that is there from being reborn is being renewed day by day. For those that are in Christ, it's the same for us as it was for Paul. God is renewing us. He is also refining us. Our new inner cells, the reborn us, and not just so we can persevere in this life, although he is doing that, but he is also changing us day by day, to be more like Jesus. He is preparing us for glory with Jesus. Dane Ortland put it this way, the shell is crumbling away, doomed to perish, but the new self, the true one, is waking up, fresh and strong, and beginning to stretch its limbs, preparing, not yet physically, but spiritually, for the life of the new earth. And the second reason we don't lose heart, we know that. We know that, verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our, truffle, our troubles and our suffering matter. Our afflictions are not insignificant. They are weighty. They are burdensome. They are depressing. They're heartbreaking. They're grievous. And often it seems to us that our afflictions will never end. Or maybe that God has forgotten us. Child of God, He has not forgotten you. If you are in Christ, your sufferings will come to an end. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead... You will be also. God is telling us when compared with the immeasurable glory of eternity that I'm preparing for you, your afflictions are light. They are temporary. It's hard to see and understand and maybe even believe that sometimes, especially in the midst of intense suffering. But it's true. You can count on it. You can look forward to it the incredible eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison will outweigh, by far, forever, any and all of your earthly afflictions. Jared Wilson said this about this verse. One day, your tears not only will be wiped away, but they will turn to rapturous joy. He will trade your ashes for beauty. Every single hurt you endure... Will be stored up and returned to you a millionfold in heavenly bliss. So, in conclusion, what do we do? What do we do between now and then? Verse 18 We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they are temporary, they will pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We look to the unseen eternal. We look to Jesus and toward our forever with him. Yes, we are fragile and finite, but we have been given a great treasure, a treasure beyond measure. And no, God doesn't promise he will end all our suffering in this life, but because of his surpassing power, he will limit it. And one day he will end it in new creation and glory. And in the meantime, we should persevere We should obey our Lord Jesus, proclaim his gospel, and look to him as we look forward. Brothers and sisters, I I pray you would dwell on these things. What a beautiful passage we've had today. And remember that God won't allow your afflictions to be victorious. He won't let them have the final say. His power protects you. Remember, too, that Jesus is risen. And, he will, and, it, and we will be raised to be with him forever. Our future with the risen Jesus is secure. But he also isn't done with us in this world. He's not done saving more people, more adopted brothers and sisters that will join us in heaven in that great glorious gospel party at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's not done with us yet. And remember that this light momentary affliction is preparing something quite grand for us an eternal weight of glory, a glory that's immeasurable, a glory that's forever. We can't even begin to comprehend how good it will be and how light and fleeting our present afflictions will look to us then. And until then, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and our future, our eternal glorious future. Let's continue to cast our vision on Jesus and our future glory The future glory that awaits those that are in Christ. And lastly, if you're you're not a Christian, I want to speak to you again. If you haven't been saved by Jesus, turn to him now and trust him to save you. Repent and believe in Jesus. He has the power to save you and bring you to glory. He defeated sin and death for you. He is risen. Believe him, follow him and follow him to glory. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a beautiful passage you've given us to, to study and consider and reflect and learn from and be changed by. What a beautiful place and setting that you've given us to, to gather together, to worship, to hear from you and hear each other. Father, I thank you that through Jesus, you have given us a great treasure, the light of the gospel. And though we are clay pots, we, we have a great treasure to share with the world. I thank you that you have, you have given us the knowledge, the knowledge that he who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, will raise us also, and we will be with him together in glory. And so until then, Father, I pray that we would, as a people, look forward Look forward to that glory. Look to Jesus as we serve, as we commit ourselves to serving God. Be with us. Help us keep our vision on what it needs to be, on Jesus and glory with him. And Father, I pray that if there's any here today that don't know Jesus as Savior, I pray you would save them today, that the gospel would be beautiful to them and Jesus would be attractive to them and they would repent and believe in him. And have this eternal life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.